Seven and one, and life is okay. Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is Nick. I'm joined tonight by Cody. We are the Clemson Podcast. We are here to break down the Clemson Notre Dame game. Cody, how are you feeling? I'm doing good, man. I, the game was it was tough rewatching it yesterday, and I feel like you and I are always on the on the recording end of some of the the bad losses. And not that this is anywhere close to like a national championship loss, but it did sting, man. I think we all felt like a lot of sting from it. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately, I think there's a lot of, a lot of positives we'll get to some negatives, but definitely yep. some positives in the rest of the way, whatever this team does for the rest of the way, will ultimately define the season and the team. And this could be just a small, just a small little bump in the road uh, by the end of it. Yeah. Like a footnote and a broader story that we all hope, you know, results in successful rest of the season playoff run, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it. There's a sting to this loss. Didn't really feel in the aftermath of this, like a pit loss or Q's loss or like even Bama or LSU on a much larger stage, you know, that you and I have recorded. Ben always seems to get out of the losses, Cody. I don't know. I don't know where he is right now. Um, he could be anywhere. He, he's not here right now. I know that. So um, Ben, come home. We wish you well. Just come home. Uh, but anyway, you know, this this didn't feel like one of those stinging losses. And I think that's because it wasn't an eliminator, right? Like it did not dash Clemson's title hopes or even their hope of making the playoffs or winning the ACC. Uh, but with that said, like, and again, like we will get into the factors of this game that led to the loss, giving up 47 points. Um, but ultimately, like it stings because there were opportunities to win this game. And like, you know, win your clunkers, survive in advance, like all these all these like cliches, but, but, you know, Clemson had the chance and that, that kind of sucked. Right. I would say the game it's most comparable to is the 2014 game against FSU where Deshaun Watson as a true freshman started his first game. Well, I don't actually, he didn't start it. I think he came in on the third series uh, to replace called stout and yeah. he kind of felt like, well, you know, not, not that team didn't have championship aspirations. And like you said, part of what makes this game okay is that we can still make it to the championship. It's not eliminator, but um, I guess you felt like you felt like you did enough to win and, and you should have won. And they, and they celebrated like they beat the number one team in the country. Uh, and I guess there's a little bit of a hit to our pride there, but, uh, but yeah, that's yeah, about I mean, it. You know, it, let's put a, put a number to it. We're numbers guys here, like 97% win expectancy going into the last two minutes of that game, like in regulation, that's tough to swallow. Um, but that said, you know, again, the upshot here, this team's goals are in front of it. You know, a question I think we'll get into here, Cody is like, what does some of the stuff that we saw in this game and have kind of learned through eight games of the year, teach us about the ceiling of this Clemson team. Like, I think that's what, 
we can reflect on in this this show here. I don't think our fans are oh hey Notre Dame listeners like you're here to you're here to kind of gloat and listen to us talk about this like welcome. Uh, but I you know we're not really here to kind of break down play by play series by series of this game. I think we are here to talk about what we learned, talk about what was reinforced or you know exposed as like a net new wrinkle to this team. And by the end of the show, Cody, I mean I, I want to figure out like where we think this team is going to net out the rest of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And I said earlier in the year, I think after Miami, this team probably has a lower ceiling than, than maybe any team dating back to 2015 or I'm, I'm sorry, it has a lower floor, um, but it also might have a higher ceiling. Uh, what I guess when I said that, I, I honestly thought there's no, like we're, we're approaching the ceiling though, after beating Miami. And I never thought we would, this quickly get to the floor, but that's just how two child 2020 has, uh, has gone so far. A uh, couple of, well, I say a couple, like four injuries, uh, including coronavirus Trevor. And here we are. Yeah. I mean, I would even, you know, people talk a lot about, and I don't have the exact like numbers right in front of me. People talk about like the starters that were missing from this last weekend, but you know, Cody, when we look back to the returning starters, like who were the purported guys that were going to be slotted into the depth chart and the starting position, I mean, we've, we have not seen Justin Foster start play a single game this year um, on the defensive line. And we were without Tyler Davis. You know, you've, you've had the drumbeat all year that he is the motor that drives this defense. Um, Xavier Thomas missed the first half. And then you had uh, Mike Jones Jr. and James Skalski out. And then during the game, you also had Andrew Booth go out of the game. Um, so, and am I missing anyone? Oh, yeah. Um, the <laughs> Zandon Landers, or uh, Landon Landon Zanders, Zanders, and then yeah. also uh, Nolan Turner. Nolan, Nolan Turner, Turner yeah, I forgot too. he got hurt. Yeah, yeah. So like you know, and again, you know, yes, that is. I I believe that is why Notre Dame scored forty seven. Notre Dame, you know, got out to an early lead, um, and this really wasn't the Clemson team that we saw against Miami or even expected to have during this year. So, yeah, talk about just asterisk on a loss. Um, you know, to me it's really hard to know that this is like the Clemson team that's going to define the season just because it really wasn't like you really indeed did beat like Clemson's backups in this one. Right. And I think you said, you know, a lot of the grief that Clemson gets, whether it's online or otherwise is that, Oh, well, you're just replacing your five-star with another five-star. And that's, and that's true to some extent uh, because we have our, our recruiting has gotten better progressively over the last several years, but it's also not true. Uh, because and, and on a lot of levels, because we do have guys like Jake Venables and, and nothing against him. We'll talk about him a little bit later. But there's actually a lot of three stars that we plug in as our backups. And there's a reason for that because, you know, we're, you know, limited scholarships, uh, some legacy scholarships, cultural fits, character fits, that sort of thing. So there is a quite a talent drop off. I mean, and even like Trenton Simpson would be the exception uh, who came in as a five-star replacement for Mike Jones, but even he, you know, he's a true freshman as a linebacker. Like he, he was, he's, he's good, but he's, you know, he's a true freshman. Yeah. And you also do have, so in the secondary, if we're trying to bring in some guys, uh, you know, like Fred Davis on occasion, he'll occasionally see the field, but there were moments at the end of that game, you know, he wasn't in there when we were just really thin and uh, it wasn't a cavalcade of five-star guys being rolled out there. I think it was guys that have shown up on the practice field and, you know, kind of earned their spot in the pecking order. And it wasn't really the, you know, the, the hallowed five stars from last year in this year's class, you know, being put out there on the field at that point. So um, yeah, kind of in any event, I feel like it is a bummer because this was the, you know, the biggest 
regular season game. Like you can go back to Louisville. You can probably even go before that in terms of just the magnitude of a matchup like this. Like I'm thinking like Bowden bowls, like early, you know, Bowden bowl one, two or three, you know, where we were both in the top 10, both top five, potentially kind of matching up and thinking about what's ahead. Obviously like this Clemson team, the state of the program is a much better spot than that, but just sucks to have an opportunity like that to have this like clash of the Titans matchup go down without Clemson's best shot in terms of its players. Yeah, agreed. And, and now that it's it's Tuesday night as we're recording right now and some time has passed and we're, we've digested some of the, the narratives and the, and the storylines from the really the national media. Let me ask you, are you surprised at the way this has kind of been portrayed? Like some I've, I've heard some people like Joel Klatt, who I, I really liked him. He's really come around to Clemson. I wonder if he's auditioning for ESPN uh, secretly. But he said, hey, this, is a, this was a team that was hobbled. They were out a lot of players. But uh, by and large, though, I feel like the national narrative has been, you know, Notre Dame might be um, – they might have arrived. They beat, the, you know, the number one team in the country. And there's not a lot of mention of, you know, the kind of the casualties or, or the, uh, the players that we had out. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I perceive that to be the case. Like, not as much – they paid short trip to, you know, Clemson's injuries on defense. And – I think the quick narrative has been, you know, DJ didn't lose this game for Clemson. Like if Trevor Lawrence plays, does Clemson actually win? I want to ask you that question when we get into offense. But um, I think that's just, I'm not like, you know, excusing these lazy narratives that are happening. But I think if that actually was DJ that had like thrown two picks and those were pick sixes and like we lost by seven, like, okay, you could point to that. But, you know, he, his uh, accuracy and his kind of like completion rate was not, amazing otherworldly but dj played an amazing game and like you know he, he was great um i think really the narrative is a lot about pointing to the clemson running game and also like we don't have like we all love james skalski and we all love tyler davis these are not household names from like the clemson defense on a national stage so they don't really necessarily know that when we're missing those guys like what magnitude that has you know let's say not you know Thankfully, we didn't have a game, you know, in the 2015 to 2018 run with the Power Rangers where like Christian Wilkins was out and we had to go in and face somebody and we, we lost the game. Like if that had been the case, I think you probably would have seen that drive the narrative that week. Um, I'm just kind of explaining why this is the case, but I agree with you. Like you've got the right perception of things and you know what that does? Like who's better at turning that into something that gets a team going than Dabo Sweeney? That's right. That's right. And yeah, just disrespect, right? I think so. I mean, you know, I think, I think Clemson has gotten its fair share of credit recently. Uh, you know, I think there was definitely a period there, you know, prior to like say 2015 where we, uh, we did not get the benefit of the doubt, but I think yeah. if, if nothing else, I think uh, they're just, it's more drumming up storylines looking for the, like the great teams that will emerge and maybe Notre Dame's there and to have that brand name uh, as a potential top four team this year. I think that's, that's good for the sport and it's good for the, the the media members that cover the sport. Agreed. Yeah. I think it's stemming from that, especially when you look at how crappy the big 12 has been, how upside down, like that's what everyone says. The big 10 is upside down. You got like Michigan and Penn state winless or, you know, Michigan's got like one win um, against Minnesota who sucks. And then like Indiana is riding high and Iowa, like Northwestern riding high in that conference. Uh, and Rutgers wasn't even that bad. So 
they're looking like they got to have like four plus teams to hype up and Clemson just happens to fit the fit the bill this year of a team that they can kind of they can kind of fade Clemson a little bit in some of their coverage and um, you know honestly Cody like I, I don't know that Clemson has proven itself to be the best team in the country this year either what we've seen on the field um, against after Miami I think we would definitely say that Clemson looked the part and you know, I think we can unpack a little bit, like, was that legit beating that Miami team? Like, or were we just beating a pretty average team at that stage? But um, again, like in this Notre Dame game, like it was completely different from a personnel standpoint of who was on the field. Right. And I think we'll try to figure out how good Notre Dame is and we can give our opinions on that later. I'll say for Miami, in a, in a regular season, I think Miami is a top 25 team, uh, you know, squarely a top 25 team where they fall in that. I, I don't know, but you know, this year they were top 10 when we played them and they, they are not that, and they are not a playoff contender, not at least not a legitimate one. So um, yeah, I mean, I, how good is Clemson right now? You're right. I don't think they're the best team in the country and maybe they were getting to that point. And the, I mean, you gotta, you gotta pay some, uh, pay some mind to uh, the coronavirus and how that's impacted things. And things are a little bit wonky, but let's be honest for Clemson, most years things seem really weird in the regular season. Um, but anyhow, I guess my point was we're hitting our apex around the Miami game. And uh, I, I, I can say pretty uh, confidently, I don't think we're the best team in the country right now. Yeah. And I, I'm glad yeah. we were playing Alabama on, on Saturday night. Right. Well, kind of a couple of points have come up to me Cody and like I think after Miami we were talking about like wow we just put that shellacking on them and imagine how much better this team's gonna get when you get Joseph and Gata back and like when really Trevor Lawrence and Frank Latson get on the same page and like there were still you know kind of layers of the onion that we could peel on this team and now we're eight weeks in to an 11 week season and you know we'll hopefully get a 12th game with the ACC championship and then the playoff happens. Like, you know, we're, we got three more regular season games, Cody, Florida State, Pitt, and Virginia Tech to get this thing right before what we hope is a rematch with Notre Dame. Um, and I just, I, I got to say, like, seeing Joseph Agata, seeing Frank Ladson not play, now we're finding out he has a foot issue. Previous to that, it was a hip pointer. He's going to be out a few weeks now. So does that mean he's on the shelf for the season? Like, potentially, could mean that. Um, and got a, I forget if it's that he took a hit or he went to the ground after making a catch on Saturday night and he came up and he looked, he looked done and they left him out there for a few more plays or he, he was out there a couple more series, I think, but I don't know that that looks like a guy that's ready to come back and light the college football receiving world on fire this season. Agreed. I think it's been such a strange year, uh, at all position groups, really just with injuries. And you, you can look back and say, we've had probably some of the best injury luck you can ever imagine. I think we, we lost more casualties to Osterine than we have to, to injuries in, in most of our championship runs. Yeah. So no, I, it's, it's so like, true. It's, it seems like, uh, I don't even know, know if I'm pronouncing Osterine. I assume that's right. Yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> but it seems like, uh, the, it's like the, all of the injuries fell in the same year here in 2020, but it, you're right. Our issues. And we'll talk about what our issues are. Some of the, I, I would say the majority of them are injury related right now. And some of them are uh, just part of the team or just inherent in, in, uh, to the team and how uh, kind of our talent profile. Yeah. So 
maybe to like make this an interesting show and normally we'll go offense defense and like break the game down and like talk about what we learned like we can still do that and again like look it's tuesday everyone who wants to relive this game has done so by now i think what i'd like to do cody is kind of break down some of the narratives coming out of the game and talk about like to what degree is can we hang something on injuries versus like is actually warts that this team has had all year that we actually don't expect to get better or it's going to be really you know the coaching staff's going to have to make some concerted effort to change what's going on and i think there's a handful of these that we can get through obviously we're going to hit offense defense by doing so but i i think that's ultimately the the most interesting thing about this clemson team as we get into a bye week here um is like the impact of injuries and just like you know jimmies and joes and like guys guys who are going to be able to play versus structural things and like you know essential core things to this team that aren't really working out this year so um maybe with that why don't we start with the elephant in the room the offensive line so cody um Offensive line and really, you know, I want to get, I want to say like this unit and what we've heard all year about this unit is that we have brought back some experience and we have, you know, really assembled a talented group. You know, they're, they're unique in their own ways, but Dabo really talked them up in the preseason to be like the most cohesive, like best gelling offensive line that he's seen among the starting core. And he was quick to acknowledge the lack of depth behind them. Um, I think we've seen excellence from this offensive line from a pass protection standpoint, but when it comes to run blocking, very mediocre and very mediocre compared to previous Clemson teams and compared to kind of national title contenders and injuries, you know, knock on wood, we get Mac, Matt Bockhorst back, but until Saturday night with his departure, we really haven't seen injuries play a role in this O-line, like, you know, struggling in the running game. Agreed. I, I don't think it's um, we're fortunate with the injuries and I don't think, you know, Ryan uh, Cantor had a piece on shaking the Southland and talked about, should we plug Walter Parks in? And that's, a, you know, at right tackle or uh, put him on the interior. And quite frankly, I, you know, maybe that is, maybe that would help, but uh, I, I think, it, I think what's wrong with the offensive line uh, was, was three or four years ago when we didn't take enough offensive line recruits. Uh, particularly along the interior line. And I, and I know why Dabo has a, a limit on the scholarships that he takes, but I mean, it, for offensive line, that's the one area where you probably want to make an exception or two. And, and just, cause you know, there's going to be some bust. Um, but yeah, the, the interior line, well, you said Tully, you said that there we're, we're not as good as previous years. And let's be honest, like, I don't think we've ever been great. Even during our championship runs, we were never great as, as we were never close to what Georgia or Alabama is in terms of uh, their, their run blocking uh, ground and pound. But uh, I would say, I will say it's a considerable drop off. And I think I don't want to point fingers, but you know, clearly there's a drop off at center this year. Uh, we had pretty solid uh, line of center starting with Jay Guillermo uh, and then um, Fascinelli and then recently Cervinka uh, yep. or, or I'm sorry, Pollard uh, and, and now, uh, you know, there's a drop off there and then, and then Will Putnam, who's going to be a solid player in time, but probably a guy you want as a rotational player starting out this year, that would have been ideal. Had you had that maybe an upperclassman with a little more talent, but he's, uh, he's in there. He's in there. And one thing I'll say is the, the pass walking has been good. So this year, I don't see any Alabama defensive lines, uh, like 2016 Alabama D lines or 2018 Clemson D lines out there. 
so I think we, we could still win a championship, but uh, yeah. it, it does make our lives really tough when you can't do anything uh, through the A or B gap. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to reference like, maybe this is taking a little bit of a step back to the macro of Clemson's offense, but when we all found out Travis Etienne was coming back, I think everyone was like, okay, like the stars are aligning for this year to just be explosive. And yes, like, I think he has made, he's actually made this unit look even more serviceable or like it would have been even worse if we had Lynn J Dixon coming back as like the lead back, which by all rights should have been the case. Um, and, or, you know, maybe I just don't ever think there would have been a world where DeMarcus Bowman would have come in as a freshman and been like the bell cow back this year. You know, even if ETN had gone to the league, I think it still would have been Dixon that would have gotten the majority of the, the carries and man, you know, with what Lynn J Dixon, I mean, I can't help but wonder if he's not injured or something like in, in the running game, he cannot get any type of head. He cannot get any type of head of steam, cannot seemingly clear the, clear the line of scrimmage. And again, it could be O-line related, but Travis Etienne is, I don't want to go so far as to say like we're squandering his senior season because he's finding ways to contribute to this offense, but it, it is a bummer. He's, you know, he's having to, you know, kind of struggle with this, this, this offensive line deficiency in front of him. Totally agree. And it, it really, I'm surprised he didn't get more Heisman hype up into this game just for how great he's been. But he, he's getting no like there's no handicapping uh, for him based off of the the level of blocking he's getting or not getting in this case. Um, but I thought this this could be a statement game had he were able to you know get loose a couple of times and change the game. It could have been his Heisman moment. Yeah. Or moments. And yeah, that never came to fruition. Yeah. And it is a bummer, Cody, like when he fielded the missed field goal at the end of the first half, um, he tried to hurdle. I think it was the kicker that. um or maybe it may have been the holder. I'm not sure. Like their punter was a holder. ETN tried to hurdle him. I think if he had cut inside, like that would have been six. And a 99-yard or 100-yard kick return touchdown, flip the game. I mean, imagine imagine what that would have done to just Notre Dame's psyche going into halftime after playing like a flawless half, getting everything going their way. And then Clemson comes in and takes um, basically a – 20 I guess it would have been 23 20 Notre Dame but Clemson gets the ball after that like things would have been moving downhill in Clemson's direction um but anyway I mean like we can talk about the game ETN had he averaged 1.6 yards per carry um he did have the one rushing touchdown but um he was more used in the passing game eight catches for um 57 yards and you know he was used a little bit in the downfield passing game we talked about that we talked about Notre Dame being um potentially ex- exposable in that aspect of the game. But um, I do think ETN has re- elevated his draft stock this season, but how much more could that have been? Could he have gone to Manhattan, like had this offensive line been, been up to the task? Yeah, agreed. And, you know, you saw signs of this early on. Like this isn't, you know, I've seen articles again by, by STS and, and Tiger Illustrated where we're like, uh, you know, we have issues on the offensive line. And I'm like, you know, really? Are you just, you're just learning this? You, I mean, it's, it was definitely, uh, well, Miami had a formidable defensive line, but uh, Notre Dame had a, a really, especially just big bodies. I don't think they had a lot of edge speed. They didn't have guys that could get home, but they're the kind of team that's going to, that's going to plug the gaps and uh, ensure that you don't get a lot of runs. Uh, up the middle and that's what they did and it, this wasn't a big surprise to me um it stinks for travis Etienne. i he, he has i 
you're talking about his draft stock. I think it's gone up. I can't, I think his, his catching ability, I thought they really marketed it last year. Um, and it was, it is, it was improved. I think it's really improved. I think it's an actual, uh, it's a really uh, big asset for his game, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, all I could say is Tony Elliott, actually, I, I watched a lot of his play calling in the second, second watch. And I, I thought like a lot of the screen passes, a lot of this stuff on the edge, it's because we don't have the option of going up the middle, which is, which is a, a shame. Although you do see him give Travis Etienne the ball up the middle a few times and you know, you get no gains on those. Yeah. Yeah. The play calling is definitely a byproduct of kind of what you can get. So um, I also read Ryan's article on shaking the Southland and he sort of referenced a, um, I guess it was a uh, David Hood TigerNet article about shaking up kind of the, uh, the roster on the offensive line and what moves you could make. So Cody, I mean, there's a reason that the starters this year are the starters and probably the, the coaching staff hasn't chosen to cycle in too many guys um, in bigger moments in games. And it's likely because to develop as an offensive lineman, like that takes years. Like that does take a considerable amount of experience and, you know, gelling from a communication standpoint with your, um, with your fellow linemen. So, I mean, how confident would you be that Clemson could make a move either at center or, you know, possibly a guard, like swapping some guys around, plugging pieces in. Um, I mean, would you make that a priority against Florida state? Florida state's got a pretty stout defensive line. And so far as their players stay opted into playing, you know, that might be a question mark here, but um, I don't know. Like, do you think we just ride with the guys we got and see what we can get moving forward? Or do you think it is time to try to make a mid season change? Yeah. I don't want to dispirit the Clemson faithful, but for those that aren't like, they don't know the roster through and through uh, there's some bad news. There's no one, there's no answers. Uh, you know, Mitch Hyatt isn't walking through that door. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's, there's no one. Um, and you, you and look, we were fond of the recruiting class this year. These dudes are 18, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that's what we need right now are, uh, you, you know, we, you need some depth at, at tackle too, but what we need right now are some, some road graders, some, uh, interior linemen that are just tough and, and big. And those guys aren't, don't exist on the roster. The, I, I think the, the one Cantor uh, alluded to on uh, from hood was that in, entering Wal uh, Walter parks. I can't remember if that meant pushing McFadden into the inside, but I mean, it might be an upgrade, a small upgrade, but it's not, I mean, it's not going to transform your, your running game. Yeah. Walker parks. I think. Yeah. It's like the Southern version of the name Walter. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Walker, but no. Yeah. Like a change in the starting lineup. Um, Kate Stewart, I mean, beyond the highest snaps, and we kind of talked about that. And this is not a trash the O-line podcast, even though we spent 10 minutes on this so far. But um, I don't know, Cody. I'm kind of with you. I think your answer here is there likely is not salvation in rotation of guys. And I think it's potentially like you use this bye week to not only get healthy, but really get these guys on this like on the same page, like simplifying what they need to be doing up front. And Tony Elliott in the post-game comments talked about with their playing calling, he needs to put them in a better situation to succeed. Um, I don't know what type of play calling you can call to. And look, if we're just going to abandon the run up the middle, like what does that do to how defenses scheme against you? Um, you know, in terms of Alabama, who's got all the depth and the, um, 
you know, Nick, Nick Saban's going to be able to like plug in the right pieces then if he knows he doesn't have to be, you know, pr- protecting the run up the middle, like that he's going to then blanket our receivers. Right. So um, anyway, like there's not a lot of good answers here, I guess. Yeah, no, what you can do and what a lot of teams are doing, you don't have to commit as many bodies. You don't have to send linebacker pressure. You can. Um, you can you can allow your linebackers to act more as like a, a spy and, and you know, hanging around the edges. And that that's that that kind of stymies Trevor Lawrence's ability or DJ's ability to, to get out in the open. And um, yeah, I, I, you're you're exa- you're exactly right. When you get a great team, these little thing you're playing against a great team. These little things matter. I mean, it mattered against Notre Dame on Saturday night and there's better teams out there than Notre Dame. Yeah. And that's, that's maybe what we're thinking about holistically here is not could Clemson win a rematch against Notre Dame, hundred percent Clemson can win a rematch against Notre Dame. It's going to happen on the defensive side of the ball, not necessarily offense. Clemson scored 40 points. You know, when we needed plays, when we needed points, this offense was up to the task with DJ, they would be with Trevor. Um, I don't know if they would be with Tyson Pumachan. Um, but that being said, like this, this O-line is ACC championship caliber. Now we'll continue to see what Bama does on defense. I know fans are going to sit here, you know, smirking, thinking about what Ole Miss did to them. Um, but that was just a unique situation. I think that was like a unique one-off game. You know, Bama's going to bring it in a playoff scenario and Ohio state lost a lot on defense, but by the time early January rolls around, they've got so much talent. I think they're going to be able to figure that out. Like, championship caliber o-line is like the is one of the biggest question marks on this team and we you know it's no mystery we've been talking about it for throughout this season throughout the preseason and really to your point for years looking at how depth shook out and when guys graduated like john simpson left you know left after last year um pollard etc like this just this year set up to be kind of a tough year in terms of o-line depth and the fact that excuse me, ETN came back and we had Trevor Lawrence, like on paper, everyone's like, my God, like Clemson, this is our year. I just don't think the O-line set up for this to be the year for us. Um, I think in subsequent seasons, next year, two years from now, the future looks bright. Like we've got the right level of talent. It also looks like the 21 and 22 class are going to be stout from the O-line position. But, you know, the, the 17, 18, 19 classes kind of left the cover bare a little bit coming in. Wow, so you're you're thinking we're just ultimately going to face, or we're going to be too limited along the O line. It's going to cost. It's going to come back to cost us at some point. It could um, now, unless things change. And you know, Walker Park's like super talented. I suspect he would get in one of the guard positions or at center. And like, um, pretty sure Caldwell. They they never really recruit a center other than Linthicum, who's going to join this year. He's an All American coming in um, for the 2021 class. Um, so pretty much you get guys that might come in and tag to the guard. He'll teach them how to snap the ball and how to play center and how to play that position. Um, so guys do cross train and guys do, you know, are versatile like that. So it'll just be interesting to see kind of what they roll out there. I guess my hope is like, though FSU might be talented up front, like Pitt is a true challenge in that regard. So it's kind of like, let's use FSU as a chance to kind of roll some new ideas out there. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like it might cost us Cody indeed down the line. I think if anything's going to cost this team, um, it probably would be just being like being one dimensional on, on offense because they completely shut down the run. 
Yeah. And the, the one Trump card that we have, and you, you have it with DJ. And I, I wasn't sure of this because I thought he might be injured. So I, th- I thought that was why they were limiting his running. And it turns out it, it is why. But you do have the Trump card with, with DJ running. Uh, you would normally have it. You definitely have it with Trevor Lawrence. Um, they are selling out to stop ETN up the middle. It's, I think it's a completely, it's, it's a reasonable and probably a wise strategy to do that. But there will be some opportunities for Trevor Lawrence against any team, uh, like in his, in his own read situation, take the tension to one side and he can he can take it himself. Um, you weren't I, I think that was there for a lot of the night for DJ. They just I think they were avoiding getting him too many runs because I, I think it's a hurt shoulder. Is that right? Yeah, it's his uh, throwing shoulder. He took a pop in the Miami game that he's been nursing ever since. Dabo acknowledged it today. Um, yeah, exactly. Wow does not hurt his ability to throw just he can't run with it apparently yeah i I just think they don't want to uh risk further damage for their injury i get it but yeah understandable sucks to lose a game (laughs) um well cody you know enough said about the o-line like i think again it it could be a fatal flaw for the season to kind of watch out for and you might not necessarily see it manifesting and like oh we can't get any running going i think the problem is you don't necessarily have all those receiving threats for Trevor Lawrence or for DJ to find in the passing game to then like, look, if we got to be one dimensional and beat you throwing the ball 55 times a game, like um, I, I think we got the right quarterbacks to do that. I don't necessarily think the receiving core is up to the task right now. And that is not to take away from the performances that we've seen this, this season from the likes of Cornell Powell, more involvement from the tight end group, um, I think it just is, unfortunately, at this point, like injuries that have kept Joe Ngata and Frank Latson from giving Clemson any type of boundary threat. Agreed. Well, you know, I think it's important that you you point to the wide receivers because for as, as negative or as, as sour of a taste as the offensive line, the blocking performance was on Saturday, you're seeing the emergence of Cornell Powell. And I, you know, I thought like he had a good game a few games back. I thought that might be just a flash in the pan. No, I, I, he's, he has been really good. He's taken his game to a, a whole new level. I think I said during the game, like, was it the Kevin Dodd award for like, where the heck did you come from? I thought you would transfer and now you're performing like an all American. Like he's, he's been that good. Yeah, absolutely. Like revelation at that position. And he's kind of playing out of position. Like they're using him in ways that you would otherwise go to a downfield boundary receiver and he's up to the task. So um, amazing season so far from Cornell Powell. Like we've completely needed it and you'd love to see that for him. And otherwise, I mean, like Mari Rogers also has just been lights out this yeah. season and everything that we hoped for when he came in. I mean, a lot of people don't remember this. Like everyone now thinks it was like T Higgins and Justin Ross's team. But when T came in, I think Amari Rogers was like just as hyped up as T Higgins. And we forget because he, you know, Rogers had, Number one, like boundary receivers are always going to be like when people think WRU, you think a boundary receiver, you know, other than Hunter Renfro. And, but no, Rogers had a great start to his career at Clemson. He just had that year where last season where he had the, the knee brace on and um, kind of had a down year for his standards, but, uh, you know, incredible year, like almost Artavis Scott asked, possibly even better, like at that very position. And so the receiving core has done great in terms of the guys that have played. I think it's just you got to add that third dimension and you would argue in like a Tony Elliott Clemson offense with Trevor Lawrence 
having that downfield threat like is what keeps this offense going and does give you that explosive play threat and not having that and taking away the middle running game by stacking the box like really tough to make make a profit on offense when you take away those two things you're right i well for one mari rogers him stepping up has been you can you can tell the dude's picked up a, a step on his his speed after the acl last year which slowed him down between him and cornell powell i'm actually optimistic i'm more bullish on the wide receivers but i get your point i think you're right whether it's Slatson or Ngata can come back. One of these guys can just get healthy and play long enough. I really think they would emerge. EJ Williams could potentially be an option. And then maybe you do it a little bit by committee with some of the tight ends with uh, Galloway and, and Davis Allen. But no, you're right. If, if someone doesn't emerge outside of uh, Cornell and Amari, that that doesn't that might not spell doom, but uh, it might. Yeah, you're right. And David Hale – Everyone knows him, ESPN writer. He's got a couple tweets up. We'll go ahead and retweet it. I'm not going to read all these stats off, but he broke down Clemson's downfield passing game by the percentage of throws behind the line, uh, you know, one to 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, 10 plus and 20 plus. And comparing this whole season from Clemson QBs to last year, really the offense is focused on that one to 10 yard intermediate passing game. Um, this year, there's a lot more passes behind the line of scrimmage than there were a year ago. Also, I think that speaks to the screen pass game, Cody, that you pointed out by not going up the middle in the running game. Um, but 10 plus air yards are down and 20 plus air yards are down year on year. Um, when you look at DJ's starts against Trevor's starts also, um, you know, we're actually throwing it behind the line less than we had than we were with Trevor. And then we're we're really reducing a lot of the downfield throwing. Um and even the 10 plus yards rowing as well. So really everything is happening in that one to 10 yard behind the line of scrimmage. And man, if you're a defensive coordinator, like if you know that's where the ball is going and you know, you can stop ETN up the middle and you know, like nothing's going to go deep on you. When you start to get some real elite four-star, five-star athletes on defense playing, like there's going to be very few tight spots, like as good as ZJ is and as good as Trevor Lawrence are like is as well. Um, not going to be the spots to put that ball in. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, we didn't see Spectre. I don't know if he was injured in this one, but maybe he's an option. But, you know, if you told me to, to start the year that, you know, without knowledge of Justin Ross, like Justin Ross is going to be injured. And Ngata and Frank Ladson are going to be dealing with injuries throughout the whole year. And so you're left with Cornell Powell, uh, EJ Williams and Amari Rogers. And that's your, that's your main core. I would say, wow, this is, this is not going to look too good. So like given that I'm, I'm pretty. Yeah. You'll be seven and one through eight <laughs> weeks and the passing offense is actually going to be the shining spot on, mm-hmm. this, on this offense. Like, yeah, I guess you could say Braden Galloway hasn't had quite the like star power type year season that we thought he might have too. So. Yeah, that's right. And part of that could be like he I don't I don't know how many targets the tight ends had in this game they had five catches um, for over 60 yards uh, which is pretty great but um, they've they've been used like it's actually been everyone's been pleasantly surprised by how much the tight ends have been used and that's been good but yeah he certainly hasn't been a Dwayne Allen type you know for this this offense yeah Um, but anyway Cody like it's been a lot of probably it's felt like we've been critical of this offense so far. And 
in the Notre Dame game, I mean, this team put up, you know, 40 points, um, had 77 plays. And again, part of that was due to a double overtime matchup that happened. Um, but the offense was clicking and did start to figure it out in the second half. And part of that was on the heels of actually sustaining like some long drives there. Like I thought the second half play calling and the second half game plan was brilliant and really played keep away from Ian book and Notre Dame. And um, I thought kind of had the Irish on their heels there for a while, but there were, you know, each of those drives, you can kind of break those down. Like there would maybe be one or two plays that prevented that the Tigers from getting in the end zone in the third quarter and the fourth quarter that um, really could have broken that game open. We also referenced the ETN play on the last play of the first half, but I don't know. Like I, I want to say, I thought Tony Elliott called a really good game against Notre Dame largely. And, you know, he shows up in big games as an offensive coordinator, as much as we want to critique him against lesser opponents, you know, we know those are the games where he's hiding stuff or, or making tweaks or kind of trying things out here and there every time we're going to come back and whine about it. But ultimately I think he is an offense coordinator does show up in these games. Absolutely. I, I really, you know, I thought it in real time. And then again, in the rewatch, I think he did a really good job. He, and you have to give him credit too, because he's putting DJ in a position to be successful. And well, you have to give DJ credit too, because a lot of it comes down to some of his third down prowess and his, let's just say arm talent. I know that's become a cliche, but I mean, he just, he's the epitome of arm talent. Um, I think that the throw that he made running to his right to Etienne, how he made, like maybe Trevor Lawrence is the only other quarterback in the country that can make that, but yeah, credit to credit to Tony Elliott and man, DJ is he is incredible. I don't find a ton of solace like looking forward to next year. I wanted to win that game on on Saturday, but yeah, we found our quarterback. He's right there with Deshaun and and Trevor in terms of talent. Yeah, wait, when we were when we were kind of planning getting the show together, we were talking about like it it would suck. It does suck for Clemson fans if. Deshaun, Trevor, and DJ come through, and like each of these guys can only win one natty each. Uh, Clemson can pull it off this year. I'm going to go ahead and credit both quarterbacks with a natty for this season, and maybe we can get TL2 and DJ too by the time they're done. You're confusing folks. So <laughs> you're meeting <laughs> sure. one, one this year and then one over the next two years. That's right, for DJ. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, Trevor Lawrence got his freshman year and then here his junior year, we're going to presume he's going to go to the jets, unfortunately. And then, but I'm going to count DJ like for this year. I mean, he, he's already started two games. I suspect he's going to play somewhat of a role down the stretch. We all hope Trevor Lawrence is super healthy and can go back and start every game from here on out. But yeah, you know, DJ was a contributing member this year. Um, just like, I feel like Chase Bryce earned that Maddie back in 2018. Yeah. I mean, it, you don't give it. Well, the reason like you, Ben didn't want to like uh, issue the, he didn't want to give that credit to DJ or, you know, any other backup just because like, think of what Deshaun did in 2016, like that's kind of the bar. And, and then Trevor in 2018, but you know, that aside, know. like he, I, I said, he, you know, DJ could be like the Tim Tebow, get like half credit. Uh, Tebow was a freshman uh, playing behind Chris Leak. Uh, more, more situationally used, but yeah, he, he's definitely had he made his uh, presence felt. And Hey, you, you asked a question, I think before we started the show, would we have won this game with Trevor Lawrence? And 
people are going to think I'm in, I'm crazy. If Notre Dame listeners are, are, are in right now, they're going to think I'm just, I'm, I'm biased, but yeah, I think we would have won with Trevor Lawrence. He would have, I, I don't know if he would have made all, all the passes. Maybe he doesn't actually pass as well as DJ maybe passes a little better, but his, his running ability uh, would have kind of made, it would have sustained drives. That's one area where I thought we had opportunity. It just, it wasn't, we just didn't exploit it. And then secondly, the second game in a row, you just can't help it. There's a little bit of a learning curve, maybe a little bit of element of chemistry between the running back and the quarterback. And it's resulted into uh, two turnovers for points. hundred percent. And you could also argue, I mean, there were a couple balls. Not, uh, DJ had, had a great game and he had some perfect balls, several, like very many. Um, but I think TL can make, those two to three additional passes, put it in the right spot for Amari Rogers that it doesn't result in a fumble, like at that point of the game. And um, anyway, like, yeah, we'll never know if Clemson would have won with Trevor Lawrence. I, I definitely think we would have. We were basically one play at any point in regulation from being able to win that game and ice that game. Um, I think TL would make at least one more play. Agreed. I mean, I, and I think it, it does look, it, it comes down a little bit to his running ability, but you're right. Maybe, maybe it's with his arm too. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, Cody, like the, the turnovers in this game on offense, like that, the miss handoff stuff with DJ and with ETN, like I'd be drilling that during the, during the two weeks here. It just, it looked like there were basically high handoffs or ETN just did not feel comfortable in either game against BC or Notre Dame. Like, taking a ball from DJ and I think that's just repetition stuff. And that's just getting those two on the same page. Um, seemed like DJ had the ball pretty high up for ETN against BC. I, I think ETN just tried to grab the ball a little early from DJ and this one against Notre Dame leading that fumble. Who knows? Maybe he, I mean, again, um, the stud defensive dude from Notre Dame was like crashing into the crashing into the, uh, the backfield you know, I'm sure ETN wanted to get that and make his first move. Um, I think it was Rogers that missed the block on that actually, uh, which is like a rare miss for Rogers, but you know, all these like little things that just kind of added up in this game um, ultimately led to this loss. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that individual play was like the perfect storm, a guy blitzing, a, you know, an all American blitzing and, you know, a very, I don't want to say predictable, but you know, just a, a pitch to ETN. He, you can't blame him from looking up a little bit. Um, but I, I, you know, I just tend to think that those, that thing doesn't happen. That doesn't happen with, with Trevor Lawrence and the chemistry. And that's two weeks in a row. That was, I mean, that might be the most costly part of the game. And you have to think that didn't happen. We were already picking up momentum there in the second quarter. We probably just come back to win. We maybe not by a large margin, but I think it would have been enough to, that's just such a, not just a momentum killer, just, you're literally killer. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I get it was even bigger last week because we were about to score seven points, but yeah, just a huge yeah. blow. That was going to tie the game. This one that happened. And then Amari Rogers fumbled on like basically the ensuing play for the, you know, two, three plays in on the next drive. Um, that right there, 10 points for Notre Dame. Like we lost right. by seven and definitely changed the course of this game. But um I guess, Cody, like we kind of covered off on the offense, you know, learnings from this game. Um, how would you kind of looking ahead, calibrate this offense and think through, you know, there were a number of guys that weren't in there, but 
we talked a little bit about the boundary receivers. Like, is relief coming up in the offing from Ngata or Latson, or you know, is EJ? Do you see EJ Williams, or do you see any other playmakers, you know, emerging to try to give Clemson a little bit more of that downfield deep threat? I mean, I, I really, I it's too tough to tell with the injuries, but I, I wouldn't expect. I mean, T Higgins. You're just not going to see him this year. <laughs> You're not going to see a Mike Williams this year. Uh, and I think it's just a reality for Clemson now. Fortunately, Cornell Powell, even though he doesn't have the same skill set and the same body, the same frame, he, he, he's a big enough bright spot for me that I think this offense is championship level. Uh, and I mean, I, you know, we, we've kind of, we've, most of our gripes are generally about the offense and the defense is, has picked the offense up time and time again over the last five years. This is two weeks in a row now where the defense just didn't have answers. And that's honestly, that's what I think it came down to. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And there are like TL can win a game for you. Travis Etienne can completely take a game over and win it for you. And there are enough weapons and enough talent on this offense that I think that I think Tony Elliott can get it done. I think this can be a championship caliber offense. Um, We mentioned some of the, you know, shortcomings, I think of the O-line. Some of those things can potentially work themselves out, like with a little adversity in the regular season, you know, the coaching staff can get things right. Um, we're optimistic. I think you're right. The, you know, the part of this Clemson team that did not look like itself was definitely on the defensive end. And we know why we know why that is. We already referenced earlier here, all the guys that were out. Um, but Cody, why don't we flip it and drill in on the defense? So this was a little bit of a tale of kind of hidden yards in this game. Um, Notre Dame had tremendous field position. We mentioned the fumble that they scored on. And then we mentioned the Amari Rogers fumble Clemson held on that series. And I want to say like, you know, we'll start out almost praising this defense with how well it played in the first half, kind of keeping Notre Dame to 23 points. Like it felt very much Cody to me, like the Fiesta Bowl last year early on in this game where you saw Notre Dame just outplay Clemson and kind of all three phases and all the breaks went their way and they got explosive plays from their running game. And, you know, Clemson was turning the ball over and you look up at the scoreboard and it's like, you know, we're down 10 points at halftime. And before that we were only down like seven points at one point. And it's like, okay, like the defense is the credit for that and getting it Notre Dame out of the ball inside the red zone and went away with field goals, like, three different series. Right. So um, I think the defense with, with the talent that they had on the field and with what kind of game plan Brent Venables called, like whether Notre Dame's blows like early on in this game. I think, yeah, you're right. Because that the, the big turnover by ETN um, you, you remove that and they, they really settled down. Um, but now this is two weeks in a row and it is a lot like the Fiesta Bowl where you, you just go down to it. You can dig yourself in a hole that you couldn't get out of really. Um, the big play to open the game. Um, I mean, you know, stuff like that's going to happen. And you do have to give a lot of credit to Notre Dame's offensive line. They were, they were really good. Just a lot of big bodies picking up blitzes. I've heard some that they did a good job of not letting uh, Venables sniff out the play. Um, that's you know, saying that that's kind of the, the method to his madness, but I don't think that had as much to do with it. It's just kind of a, a lack of high end talent that we were missing. And, and in that no case, pass rush, right. And no, and like yeah. when we were trying to get pressure, their O line held and th- yeah, that was they did a great really job of picking up it, our blitzes. 
Yeah, for sure. And that made itself way more evident later on in the game. And like, we'll get to that phase of the game. But um, again, like Notre Dame won in the trenches in this game. Like we haven't made that narrative point, like no question. And we knew that on the offensive side. And um, when Notre Dame had the ball, like, I mean, I do think Ian Book impressed me and he played way better than I expected. That being said, Cody, like he didn't exactly go out there and like crush Clemson. You know, he would, he was never a problem for Clemson. I think he just never made a mistake and good for him. I think he played to his absolute peak and ceiling in this one. I, I agree. And I, I was kind of uh, thinking I was a little bullish on book. I'm like, it's his third year. He'll have a big season. And I think you can kind of attribute a lot of his success on Saturday to the offensive line, uh, picking up all the blitzes. And so he had a lot of open receivers or at least, uh, some one-on-one situations to throw into. And he did a great job. He extended plays. He was using his legs. But you have to think, like, I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks in the ACC that would do pretty well with that that with that with offensive line, including the BC quarterback who was once at Notre Dame. So I'm um, trying to handicap book a little bit. I, I don't think he's as – I think, yeah, I think with the better defensive line, a little few more uh, healthy bodies, we can pressure him and get him to do some dumb things in, in, another, yeah. uh, in another reality. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, if we rematch with them, like, he doesn't have as good a game, does he? No, and, you know, honestly, like, in the rewatch, he had a he had a solid game, but it wasn't a great game. And, if yeah, if you have Tyler Davis and maybe Justin Foster, maybe a, a healthier XT for, for two halves, and obviously Skowski and Mike Jones, then I think things would look a little different. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and – they were not kind of throwing toward the end zone, like in the first half and they didn't really, maybe it was that they didn't trust Ian book and like, you have a shortened field like that. Maybe you, you fear Clemson's superior secondary against your receivers. I sort of get it with Ian book, but you know, that's, that's a little bit of a liability and they were, they were getting everything they wanted from the tight end um, in this game, Michael Mayer. Like I'm a little surprised they didn't try to take more shots toward the end zone with Mayer kind of as we got down into the red area, but I think it was, it's largely like tells you all you need to know about the coaching staff's trust in book. Um, but the dude, he can scramble. He went for 14 carries um, to DJ's, I guess DJ carried it 13 times. That's a little shocking. Um, but Ian book went for 4.8 yards per carry in this one. Um, so he was definitely a, a threat on the ground. I think that's when our blitzes didn't get home. He knew he had that scramble. And our linebackers were largely either blitzing or falling back into kind of intermediate, deeper coverage. And he had like five, six yards per rush, like no problem for most of this game. Right. And yeah, it, it was so frustrating. And um, yeah, it, I, I still, yeah, I don't, I don't see book as in round two, assuming we have uh, healthy bodies, I don't see him as being, uh, having the same kind of game. And, you know, you flash back to the 2018 when we played them and, you know, that, that was a different defensive line, but he did not look good at all. And I, I, th- I don't know that we can do that again in a, in a, in a rematch, but I, I think we could see more of that book than the, than what we saw on, on Saturday. And, you know, one, one thing I, I saw as notable from the defense was that it wasn't just that we were playing with some backups because I thought Jake Venables played really well. I, I mean, he, he missed a couple tackles and he, he's not as athletic as, as Skalski, but he's, he's really fundamentally sound. He's, he knows the, obviously knows the, the scheme really well. 
I think what really hurt us was we didn't really have an answer after Venables. We didn't sub in a lot of uh, other linebackers. So I think they were really depleted by the end of the game. They were rushing a lot, uh, sending a lot of linebacker pressure, and they couldn't get home. And I think it really took its toll. Yeah, and I guess, like, you know, the rare instance where we're going to, on this show, question Coach Brent Venables. Um, I was talking with Alex Kraft, who's a writer, breaks down the film over at Shaking the Southland on Sunday after this game. And he felt, and I, I agree with him, that they should have just abandoned the blitz, especially at the end of the fourth quarter on Notre Dame's, like, preemptive drive, where if you just drop more guys into coverage and make Ian Book beat you with his arm instead of his with his legs when our blitzes don't get home like at least when the first few blitzes don't make it like that's not working let's let's like pivot off of that i'd rather lose because ian book beat me with his arm than we couldn't get home on the blitz and he just picks us apart or you know ultimately what what was the undoing was making one play downfield um so i don't know how you felt about that cody it's funny as I was rewatching it, I was, I was watching the pressure and I got mad. I'm like, why are we doing this? But then I thought about it. I'm like, all right, you're Brent Venables in this moment. And you're thinking about, should I send pressure? Which is my calling card or should I leave, uh, you know, leave some guys back in a zone, uh, a soft zone or whatever. And and like you said, make him beat you with his arm. In hindsight, it seems like the answer is obvious. You would, you would, you want to make book beat you and just hope he makes a mistake and you, and you limit the big play. Um, It's, you know, not having hindsight, what you need is one big play, one guy to get home uh, for uh, one of the linebackers to get home, and we put them in a in a in a down and distance, and the game's probably over. That's yeah. what Venables wanted to do. He wanted to take, you know, take his fate into his own take, you know, the Clemson's fate into his own hands by uh, sending sending pressure. Yeah, and you know, up until that one deep play that went, you know, they were they were still he was squeaking out of that pressure, but he was you know gaining six, eight, ten, twelve yards, and like it was still burning clock and. I guess maybe now's as good a time as any Cody to talk a little bit about clock management in this game. Um, the, really the offensive series, the very last Clemson offensive series of regulation um, two minutes left and look like we can, everyone knows kind of what happened, but um, to only have Notre Dame burn one timeout and only take like 20 seconds off the, off the game clock in that one, just such a backbreaker for this game and for this team. And the holding call was certainly brutal, but ETN going out of bounds sucked. Just run it into the line three times, lose your yards. They're going to stack the box right there. Lose your two, three, four, five, six yards, you know, across three downs. But at least then they burned and exhausted their timeout. And, uh, you know, Will Spires boomed a punt inside the 10. Then you got Ian Book going um, 90 yards with a minute. 25 left, not with a minute 25 left, but with like 50 seconds left and no timeouts. And Clemson wins the game if they do that ultimately. I think what was also unfortunate was on that ensuing offensive drive where Book hit the deep ball, you know, and our blitzes couldn't get home. This is the only refereeing, you know, comment I'm going to make in this episode is he was definitely down on the field of play for one of those plays where they called him out of bounds and that right there, I mean, everyone was spread all over the field. That would have been at least 15 to 20 seconds off the game clock. Um, if they called that properly and if they come up and spike the ball. So, um, net, net kind of, kind of unfortunate. I think Clemson got out coached really in the last few minutes of regulation. And it is a bummer because by that point, you know, it was really the walking wounded on the team and you just had, you know, 
they're digging deep into the bench um, for guys on the field. But yeah, just a little bit of tactical plays there that kind of cost the team the game. The walking wounded. I like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, it seems like almost every starter was out and it, it, it's yeah, it, it was incredible there at the end. And, I, and honestly, uh, even after the Cornell Powell catch, I thought there was a chance, but yeah, the defense was, they were gassed and they were hurt. Um, I tweeted Cornell, about it, Cody in yeah. overtime, um, you know, Clemson, I don't know what was going on in the second overtime with our offensive series, but I think the team was just done by then. But if Clemson scores, if DJ finds a way, like I think you got to go for two right there. And it yeah. is a bummer. Clemson lost the toss because I wonder like if Notre Dame had started the game and scored a touchdown and then, you know, DJ hits Cornell Powell on the first play. Why not go for two there? Like you've got DJ, you got ETN, you can even, you know, play action and go to Davis Allen. Like I, I don't think Clemson has been that strong at two point conversions and having a play up their sleeve, but I would so much rather, you know, take the chance on one play like that than, you know, a, a tired and wounded Clemson defense being out there trying to trying to hold off Notre Dame. I don't think it was a winning formula. Agreed. Yeah. You, you knew like it, it was, it was obvious in the second, uh, overtime like what we were going to do and the game was over if we couldn't score then and then you know it, it that was going to be the end of the road there um, yep. one other thing yep. about clock management though you know you talked about the last offensive drive where we had the hold and, and etn going out of bounds probably trying to get a little cute it's like it's like are you going to commit to uh getting a first down if so then you know make it happen do it through the air but if you're going to run run i i totally agree with you don't get cute yeah uh, don't get put yourself in a position where you get a player out of bounds or um, or a hold. So, point taken there. Um, the actual drive before that, we we were we did a great job marching down the field, very methodical. Not not really a Clemson esque drive. I was actually wondering in that drive while we were while we weren't trying to run a little bit more clock because we were actually tied. And I, I know we wanted to get into the end zone, and we did, and that that worked out. But we had we really ran down the clock, we had the field goal and that would, that would have given us the win. So I actually think in that drive, we could have melted a lot more clock. Yeah. I remember thinking that at the time too. And maybe who knows, maybe the coaching staff at by that point was like, we trust our defense, get one more stop or we trust our, like our offense is going fine. We'll get one more series. We can knock out a first down. I'm not sure. The other clock management hiccup happened after Jake Venable's stripped Ian book ended the third quarter massive momentum change by that point. Um, you know, at that point it was a tie ball game. Um, Ian book goes in to go up, um, with a score and, um, I'm sorry, I think, no, Notre Dame was still leading by that point. Um, no, 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 it was tied. It was tied. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was tied. And Ian book fumbles the ball, like right at the goal line, Clemson gets the ball back. And essentially we, we went three and out, but on second down, Clemson gets the ball, like, you know, nothing really happens. I think it was a running play and everyone thought they were just going to let it, let it run down, let the clock run down and DJ snaps the ball. And like, they didn't really have the right play called. And all of a sudden just, you know, the play blows up and they're going to be punting after the quarter break. And it's like, why not let it go down to the quarter? It wasn't about burning clock at that point, but it was about, this is a series they were about to score. Like you have to at least sustain a drive, if not go down and score points and make them pay for that turnover and to just give the ball right back. Like I thought that was a huge missed opportunity. And, you know, it's, it's kind of those little moments that 
will stick with me and kind of haunt me in this one. Um, pretty frustrating. Yeah. I mean, this is two, I guess two weeks in a row where I got, we we've been out coached and yeah, the coaches have to do better. <laughs> and they're so great. I mean, you know, the coaching staff does such a great job, but there are, there are moments where you, you wonder like, you know, just, we've heard just, it Cody, how many games this year, like Virginia end of the half first half. I'm going to remember that one. Cause I was gambling on it. Miami mm-hmm. getting the, the field goal blocked and they run it back. Like, end of the third quarter, end of this game, like, I don't know, four games this year. Plus you've heard Dabo in a press conference or the coaching staff be like, we got it. It's on us. We got to put them in a better position. And like, I fully agree. Like, I think they are coaching, coaching issues, but kind of like what's going on with that. Like, how do you, how do these coaches wake up from that? Yeah. Well, one thing like to be sure they not a lot of fans will conflate like, Dabo what's he like he's not a good game manager coach uh, to say he's not a good coach is like they, they conflate that with he's not a good coach and he, he actually is a great program building coach he's the best probably one of the best ever if not the best but in terms of game management like knowing what to do at the moment like you know it's not exactly the same skill set as building out a program and I think he really lacks for some some stuff in the moment he could use just kind of a kind of an analytical nerd guy that's like Hey Dabo in his, in his ear, here's probably the high probability play right here. Here's what you should do. And like, cause there's people that can do that. And I think he should have some analytical guy to give him that kind of guidance. Well, I want to, I mean, I, I posited this to Alex. Um, is this a, is this a component where you miss Jeff Scott and he was a co-OC. You just had another voice that could challenge Dabo that could challenge Tony Elliott that could kind of say like, guys, I've been thinking about this. Like, this is the move we need to make or kind of another veto voice, veto power. Do I think we've been missing Jeff Scott in the receiver development game? Unless Jeff Scott is like a healer, you know, a cleric that can like fix Frank Gladson and Gata. I don't think so. Yeah. He's not like an Osterian, you know, connect. So no, I don't think we're missing him in the, like the receiver development game this season. We'll see, you know, like Tyler Gresham, like we've got all the confidence in the world. He's going to do good things there with these guys and the guys we got coming in. Um, but I do wonder if it's more like the administrative presence and like the leadership presence and kind of like, cause again, like, I don't know if Grisham or Brandon Streeter are going to challenge TE and Dabo, like around these situational football questions and decisions. And I don't know that Jeff Scott is like the guy for that either. Like, I don't think he's the analytical nerd to your point, but he might just be, he's a football guy. He's grown up around the sport. So, um, he's a son of a coach. So I feel like I, I don't know. All season, I've kind of been like, do we miss Jeff Scott? And I, I do think that we do. And maybe this is the, the phase or the component of the, of the team or the offense that we miss it the most. Yeah. And it, it's hard. You know, we're kind of, it's all conjecture. We don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but you know, you and I have worked for, for companies and corporations long enough. Like we know to, just to get, to manage people, to get things to go right. It takes a lot of work. And if, you know, an integral piece mo- removes themselves from the equation, usually st- shit falls through the cracks. Like, so you yeah. have to think that, like you said, just an administrative uh, standpoint, like there's something that's being lost. They're not having him. Um, I don't, and I don't know if that's, if that skill set is the, the nerdy guy on the sidelines, but yeah, I mean, Dabo is really into the game. Like you get, you get a little emotional. He needs someone that's like, Hey, it's, here's the situation. Um, keep in mind the clock's going to be running. Like just little nuggets like that. He just, that's, I don't know. It, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but um, yeah. One, one thing uh, also totally, I, I wanted to mention 
Um, with Tyler Davis being out, I know I've talked about this ad nauseum. I think he just, he makes people, I still, you mentioned ESPN doesn't know who he is and that's a shame because he makes this, this defense click. And I think Brissy had a great game. Miles um, Murphy had a good game, but you got it. Like he is just that important. He disrupts every single play and that in turn makes it more difficult to guard the other guys beside him. And without him, we got to see what having a very average defensive line look like. And I'm sorry, one more thing. I was watching a 2019 flashback game, uh, 2009, excuse me, flashback game from Georgia Tech when we were playing them in the ACC championship game. And I looked at the defensive line and I'm like, you know what? They actually had some guys, like the talent wise, like they're very comparable with what we have right now. So uh, all that to say, like, not a ton of talent on the defensive line. It's young talent. And without Tyler Davis, it's, it's, well, you saw it. It's what every other college program in the country does with like no pressure from the interior. Yeah. Um, so I guess when we like with the offense, we talked a little bit about like ceilings and like what needs to get better. Um, he needs to be healthy for this team to have any shot at slowing down Justin Fields, Mac Jones, um, Najee Harris, et cetera, like in the playoff and potentially even Ian Buck and Notre Dame, you know, in either the playoff or an ACC championship game. Wouldn't it be crazy, Cody, if uh, we played Notre Dame three times? Tune in here to figure out how that can be a possibility. Um, but yeah, Kyron Williams, like Tyler Davis is the straw that serves the drink on this Clemson defense. I think James Skalski, you can kind of say they're like 1A, 1B in terms of that regard, in terms of their impact and importance. Um, but I think what Tyler Davis does is make everybody else on that line better and allows them to play in their role and not necessarily have to play like one and a half roles um, or wear one and a half hats, like is meaningful. And he's the guy that you really want to get back and kind of in talking with Ben, you know, over the weekend and in prep for this, there are guys you want to rush back in and kind of filter in and, you know, kind of get to gel. I think on the O-line in particular, we just got to find the right mix and the right formula there. I think for Tyler Davis though, like put the dude in, you know, one of those uh, bubble wrap suits, you know, that you get him in a bubble wrap suit from now until the ACC title game. Like, I don't care. I don't think he even needs like a rust, a rust game to kind of wear out the rust against Virginia tech. Like we cannot risk more ankle injury or knee problems or anything else. I, I agree. He's hyperbaric chamber from here on out. And yeah, I mean, if he's not able to play, how important how important is he? If he's not able to play, I, I don't like Clemson's odds of – I think they can beat Notre Dame in a rematch, but I, I don't think they can beat – I don't know if they can win a playoff game without Tyler Davis. That's how important he is. And every for every one extra guy you take off, Jamie Skowski, who we've talked about him, he's maybe he's all-conference, maybe all-American good. That's a huge loss. And, yeah, I mean, if you're, like, wondering how much of an impact it has, like, watch the Miami game. Watch the defense in that game. Like, they were devastating, like, for Miami, that is. So, yeah, yeah that and, and it, just watch whenever Tyler Davis is in there, how he gets penetration. And instantly, things go into the disarray uh, in the backfield. And that sets up Miles Murphy to make plays. It sets up Xavier Thomas to make plays. So, yeah. It's we, like what Dax yeah. did for the career of Clee Furl. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And Clee in his own right is a stud and was amazing, but like Dax and Christian, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins collapsing that interior line. Just like, like, I think, I think Tyler Davis can make Brzee 
feel like that duo is just as good as those two. Like that's how good he is. And they're, they're not going to be just as good as that duo, but Hey, if we can get 90% of that, that's good enough to win a natty. Oh yeah, we absolutely can. It might be next year, but yeah, I think we can. Yeah. I, I think point. Yeah. Good point on, uh, on Klee. I think yeah, he, he, uh, has a lot, uh, he owes to some of those guys on the interior getting drafted fourth, but, uh, yep. but yeah, I mean, and you know, we talked about Nolan Turner a little bit. He's, he saw it a little bit in the championship game, or I'm sorry, the, the semifinal from last year. Like he, he's a good player. He's, he's, he's knowledgeable and you, you, he gets, uh, I don't know. He, he takes some slack for his speed. I, I don't really think that's the issue. He just, he's missed some big tackles uh, over the last couple of years. So that's not a problem when you're playing ACC teams, but against some of the better elite teams, it is a problem. Meanwhile, you have other sophomore safeties that look a little lost at times. Yeah. And in this one, Cody, I think it like, it's almost hard to, want to calibrate how this defense can be moving forward with the guys that we're playing in this game, like Landon Zanders and Nolan Turner. Like we both, we hope they're both healthy and able to come back. Like the roles that they're going to need to play in this defense. If we are missing the likes of Tyler Davis and Mike Jones jr. And Skalski, like it's completely different than if we do have two or two of the three of those guys are all three. Right. So, um, and I almost don't know that it's worth us sitting here and grading like performances from the week because it was just, it was just kind of like survival mode out there on defense. But um, Nolan Turner like did get worked in that, that first touchdown from Notre Dame and his run fits and kind of run, run stopping capability has kind of always left something to be desired there. But, um, and that's definitely like cause for concern moving forward that I don't necessarily know that you can put on the personnel that was on the field. Um, Xander's again, like we've kind of mentioned it all year. He isn't quite, I think he probably like, if you, if you did have an, um, he'd be a great first guy off the bench safety, I guess, for, for most Clemson defenses of years past. I don't necessarily know that he's your prototypical starter. Like from 2015 to now, I feel like you would almost take like any other starter over Xander's like would you agree I think so I mean at least it, this this version of Xander's just because of his youth and you, you do see like what the the advantage of having a senior laden uh, back end of the secondary how that benefited Clemson um just guys knowing where to be surefire or uh, yeah surefire tacklers like you're, you've definitely lost a little bit of that but I agree to your bigger point I agree you can't take too much from this game uh, given the, given the losses, uh, and the injuries. So, I mean, I, I still think I'm still bullish. It, it, I think it's going to be crazy. Um, and it's going to be, a, it's going to be amazing. Assuming we, this team gets back to good health, what the score is going to look like when we play uh, Notre Dame in the rematch. So yeah. let me, I'll ask you Tully instead of uh, commenting on it and give you my thoughts. How good is Notre Dame? Are they a top, are they a legit top four team? Or are they better than the 2018 version of themselves? That, that is a great question. Um, I think they're the fourth best team in the country right now, definitely, or a, a top four team in the country right now this year. Um, I don't think, I think they would probably, I guess that's the question. Like, do you think they beat Florida? Do you think they beat Georgia? Do you think they beat, you know, other teams in the top 10? Um, would they get embarrassed by Alabama or would it be competitive? I think they'd lose by 17 plus against Bama actually. 
And I don't know if that's embarrassing or not, because the Clemson team that was out there would probably also lose by 17 plus to Alabama on Saturday. I'm not saying we will with whatever we're going to have by the time January comes. Um, And look, like people are gonna be like, Oh, Bama, like they're not, they're not every, every Bama team we've ever faced. Um, But no, this Alabama team is legit. They're going to have two bye weeks here. looks like their game against LSU just got postponed because LSU came down with COVID or so they're telling people. Um, But yeah, (laughs) like I, like how good is Notre Dame? Like, they needed two overtimes and Clemson to be down all of these guys just to beat us. And we had to give the gift them 10 points off two turnovers, but they forced those turnovers. They made all the plays to win. Ian book held. I also like one of the things we were talking about in last week's kind of recap of BC and preview of this is like, I also want to say hats off to Brian Kelly. He did not make any coaching mistakes in this game to my recollection. Like normally he has a lot of, questionable decisions or he doesn't make the right adjustments. I don't necessarily know that Notre Dame made a ton of adjustments in this one. They just seem to hold on a bit. Um, but anyway, like Kelly was not a liability in this and you kind of got to credit him for that. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a, like a, a matter of getting out of your own way in some of these games and, and Clemson's committed some of the same fatal flaws. It's just that they don't always, they end up winning. So you don't really hear about it after the game, but um yeah, yeah I, I definitely say that they won the coaching battle. Right. Notre Dame did. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. Like, do you think they played their best football on Saturday? Like, do we see the best version of that team? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I would say they probably left a little to be desired on defense. Um, but that's about as good as you're going to get from their offense with with uh, with the end book. And Yeah, exactly. And, like, they – you know, they, they featured their tight end. That's always a strength for Notre Dame's offenses. I None of us were scared by their downfield passing game. Um, they did make a good number of like shoulder catches and toe tap kind of first down catches. I think our defense could probably tighten some of the coverages up there to prevent that, you know, at full staffing. Um, but yeah, no, I think they kind of hit their offensive peak in this game. Um, so yeah, I, I guess your question is probably more like, would they be, would we be able to hang our hats and feel really good about beating them in the ACC title game? And I think we really would. I actually think they'd be the best team we would have faced in any ACC championship game in our recent run. Hmm. Now I'm digging through the mental archives here. So North um, Carolina, Virginia Tech, Miami. Check, check, check. Pitt. Check. And Virginia. Check. Yeah, you're right. You know, and then that's I, not saying much. I'm trying to, I, I would say North, the North Carolina team was probably the best one in 2015. Yeah. And this team is probably better. Virginia Tech gave us the toughest game. Although North Carolina did give us a good game. Miami was the highest ranked, but they were, that was Mark Rick. They're full of shit. And they took the field goal to not get shut out. So yeah, in the fourth quarter. So um, yeah. So this, I think this Notre Dame team like would be the best team that we would have faced. Um and look, like it's a long time away. A lot of fans storm that field. A lot of players could come down with COVID. They could lose two weeks in a row or like not have enough games. And their win percentage might not be good enough to make the make the game. So yeah. I want to throw out a little bit of a hypothetical, Cody's like conspiracy theory, but Clemson's ranked fourth right now in the AP poll. Um, I could see us sliding down if we don't amass more quality wins. But with that said, like 
you get into the ACC championship game if you're one of the two best teams by way of winning percentage in the ACC. And um, let's say Clemson misses like the Florida State game because FSU comes down with COVID. And there's three one-loss teams, but the other teams have played their 11 games. Clemson's only played 10. I guess we would have, like, we they'd have a they'd have a higher winning percentage than we would. Is there actually a benefit to Clemson staying out of that ACC title game if we're already fourth in the country? I think we all want to see Clemson go in and kick Notre Dame's ass and like redeem ourselves, prove it, leave no doubt, get into the playoff. But I don't know, you know, like alternative universe. Maybe Clemson doesn't play that game, gets a little bit more healthy, and we coast in on the Notre Dame and. I'm sorry, on the Ohio State and Alabama thing of non-conference champions to get in. Yeah, I don't I don't know. And who would that be? Would The third team would be North Carolina? Well, I guess at this point they've lost two games, right? Uh, yeah, okay. So, I mean, so Miami is the only one with one loss at this stage. Mm, we've won head-to-head with Miami. I, wonder, I think that would take precedent, would it not? So it's over all winning, about – Over winning percentage? Winning percentage is the first metric they use. They didn't think and, that through very well. No, they definitely didn't. And it may cost them millions in the playoff by not having Clemson uh, get to yeah. play. But in Miami, uh, yeah, yeah, in Miami, um, they don't play Notre Dame. So, hmm. you know, you could end up in a situation where it's a three-way tie. Like if one of those teams doesn't have the right number of games, you could, I don't know, you could hear a lot of squawking at that I point. don't think, I mean, I think the committee uh, would, 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 maybe give Clemson the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I don't think that's the position you want to be in to not be able to control your fate. And God, I would be really upset to not be able to play Notre Dame in a rematch here. Agreed. I don't, this is not the scenario I want. I'm just saying yeah. like, watch out for that. It's not impossible. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, by the way, I, I think with the full, I, I think in the rematch, I think we beat Notre Dame by, I, I think it was 17 was the Vegas spread ish 17 or was it 14? 14 and a half or something? Yeah. It was like over 14 when TL was going to play. I think that's, that seems right. And I think uh, with a little bit more fire and not playing on the road, uh, it, I think it can move up to like be a three score game. And I, and I think that would be, that would feel good if we barely beat them. I would, it's probably because a lot of things have gone wrong. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I think Clemson's a good two, probably 17 points better than this Notre Dame team at full strength. And I don't know what ranking in the country that puts Notre Dame at, but I'd say probably fourth at the best and maybe fifth or sixth. I would say last year's team uh, beats them by three scores. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to know how good I think they are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right yeah um cody who is your defensive mvp from this game like player of the game it it's probably brissy he was disruptive again he's he's got a thing with pad level he doesn't he doesn't always uh, get in uh with some lower pad level and get penetration but he's he, the athleticism is obvious so a little bit of refinement a little bit of uh technique uh refinement over in the offseason man he's going to be a stud next year so either him or actually i go jake venables just because i think he was very very active he missed some plays but i think he had a, a really good game and then had the strip of the ball uh, in the end zone for book yeah, that was an all effort all strength play from him not I don't, I don't even put that on a mistake on ian book i mean maybe you could say like he could have guarded the ball a little better but uh amazing play by jake I agree. Like he's just involved in so many plays as that middle linebacker that like, you know, 
he's not going to get every tackle and just, you know, crush it on every single play. So, I mean, we're lucky to have a Jake Venables there to be able to spell Skalski. Like not many teams can not have that big of a drop off going from like an all American caliber linebacker to him. Um, So I just, I reject any notion that it's like, Oh, coach's son, nepotism. Like, I'm sure Brent Venables would gladly play like any other guy at middle linebacker, but Jake's Jake's up to the task. Yeah. And to, to give you an idea of how much trust he doesn't, he may not have in the big, uh, big time games. I don't think I saw Bentley or I think maybe Keith McGuire went in for a short period. I don't, I, I don't think he, Jake Venables came out of the game hardly at all. Yeah. And that honestly, Cody, like that's not, that is, what I think Brent Venables like standard approach is like, we remember in 2015 and even 2016 by the end of the season, by the end of games, like the likes of PJ Goodson or Ben Bulware or um, Dorian O'Daniel, like these dudes were just gassed because BV like didn't dig into his depth too much and kind of Dabo's philosophy of let's cycle in the, let's empty the bench. Like, let's get all these guys in, let's play 80 guys a game. Like that had not yet taken root in that defense um, of that, of that era. And I think just BV knows who he trusts, know who knows who he can go out there and rely on to make plays. And he's going to, he's going to work you and you're going to be in there for 90 snaps if need be. Yeah. The irony of the the 15 season was those same guys that he trusted just uh, didn't show up at the end, but but yeah, no, I agree. Everything's have changed. There's more quality depth now too, but you know, that is a reason we, we didn't have anyone to spell a lot of those guys towards the end. And that was part of the reason. I mean, you want Jake Venables as your, as your rotational player to come in and spell Skowski, but you don't want him as your MVP of the defense. <laughs> You're probably not getting the scoreboard's going to be uh, not in your favor if that's the case. Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, Cody, how did you feel like kind of the game within the game in this one of like Clemson had four penalties for 46 yards. Um, the three turnovers were pretty brutal. Um, all three were fumbles lost and that was mostly on the offensive side, of course, but um, you know, there's a penalty on the first play of the game. Like I thought Clemson played fairly disciplined other than that. Uh, but yeah, like I just, I, I, I brought this up to basically ask you like Andrew Booth went out in this game DK played, I think DK played a really solid game, but, you know, Sheridan Jones kind of showed that he's really like the number three guy, not a number two guy. And I'm not sure how many snaps Mario Goodrich got in this one. Um, Are you a little concerned at all that the secondary, which looked like just complete world beaters against Virginia and against Miami, you know, has now come down to earth a little bit. And the reason I ask that is because I actually think that's the unit that we set it early in the season is going to set the ceiling for the defense. Yeah, it, it well, it is amazing that a, a depleted defensive line that can't get home, what that does to your back end and, and the perception of them. Uh, and not and not even be able to make book think about it because you weren't you're not even getting hits on him. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm a little disappointed in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they're and how much of that's DK coming off an of injury, I don't know, but they're definitely not where I thought. They they would be and and booth like you said i guess he was injured uh, i i mean i like where they'll be next year i think but right now dk i think is a stud and then you you probably need uh you're, you're a little unsure with uh with the other two on the other side yeah it's it's going to be tough ohio state is definitely reloaded at the receiver position alabama is very strong there even though they lost jalen waddle 
Um, they're, they're plenty deep at that, at that position. Um, again, a rematch with Notre Dame doesn't scare you too much in that phase of the game, but I'm just thinking about calibrating this team for longer, longer term goals than that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, I don't know, like special teams wise in this game, Cody, not too much to kind of rehash BT Potter just continues to be Mr. Reliable in the kicking game. He was four for four, um, had a few long ones at, at very opportune moments for this team. You know, they really had to get down there in the first half and score some points. Uh, also four from four with extra points. We mentioned Spires um, in the end of the game. He kicked that punt down to pin Notre Dame inside their 10. Um, they did ultimately charge down the field, but, you know, that could have been a game saving punt. And again, like those two guys continue to be rock solid in this kind of game where every possession matters, every point in the scoreboard matters. So you feel good about that. Um, but I think we got to move on from Lynn J. Dixon in the kick return game. Um, I don't feel great about having ETN back there and you don't have like Ngata who fielded some kicks a year ago and EJ Williams. Like, I, I also don't know that I love the thought of him kind of getting back there because of how important a role he should be playing in the offense. So I don't really have good answers for you, Cody, in terms of the kick return game. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. I have a very straightforward answer for you, and that's fair catch always. Dixon has – I don't know. Like you said, I don't think Dixon's injured. I, I just think he's just not a great – he's not a super explosive guy, and he runs too upright. He shouldn't be – I don't even think – I think it should be Darian Kendrick that's in that role. Um, maybe – I don't know, maybe like a Cornell Powell. Uh, but, yeah, I think, I think you just call it fair catch. If you're in a situation at the end of the game like we were and like we were uh, like we were for Boston College where you do need the game-changing play, Etienne. And otherwise, don't risk the injury. Take the 25 yards. Don't risk ending up on the 10-yard line, which is where we seem to end up a lot uh, when, when we uh, return the punt or return the kick. Yeah, it felt like it was like three or four plays of this game. And, you know, you talk about I don't have the advanced box score because I don't think Bill Connolly publishes those anymore. Thanks a lot, ESPN. Uh, but, you know, we would always try to look at the couple years ago when that was available, like what was our average starting position on the field and what was the opponent? And you multiply that by all the drives of the game. And, you know, if you're talking about like an extra 150 yards, like that is hard to overcome for a team. And Clemson starting on the five or the eight or the 10, which seemed like in the first half happened like four or five times, Cody, that versus what Notre Dame does on average, especially when you factor in the fumble and the, you know, the, the fumbles, I should say, um, definitely add up and definitely can result in a seven point loss. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you could probably point out enough plays there. Like you said, with the yardage, uh, the advantage Notre Dame has yeah. just to say that, that that's the game right there. Right. But, uh, but yeah, like you, you're, you had some good points. The kicking has been, kind of overshadowed by some other things, but uh, both of these guys have looked really good uh, between Spires and, and Potter. Ben is proud. Ben, ben is very proud. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so in this one, Cody, I mean, look, if you came to hear, you know, Clemson tears, like there's plenty to critique from this game. And, um, but with that being said, like, we think this Clemson team's a lot better than the performance shown on Sunday or on Saturday rather. And a lot of that has to do with who was on the field, definitely some coaching question marks um, and some execution as well. Like 
you know, let's, let's be fair. That said, I think we're bullish on the remainder of the season, you know, got three more games plus the bye week here to clean things up before what we hope is a rematch in Notre Dame. I just hope that there will be health and guys coming back on this defense, just so we can get a glimpse at what they're capable of and what we can really get out of that, that caliber of a team. I don't expect we'll have each of those guys operating at hundred percent Cody like from the defensive side. Uh, but man, I think, you know, that, that was a really great football game trying to be a little bit objective here, like knowing Clemson was limited. That was a pretty much a heavyweight battle and back and forth throughout the second half, even throughout the first half, like a lot of lead changes, a lot of tie tie scores, you know, that ended up happening and kind of sucks. It ended the way it did. It felt pretty anticlimactic. I thought it was a really good game. I'm not going to go back and rewatch it. And I don't know. I, I just, I hope it is that kind of footnote that we all look back at that pit game and we're like, Oh, wasn't that, wasn't that something we lost to pit. Oh, well, we went on to beat Bama, you know, like yeah. you hope that you hope this is, this is a footnote. Uh, well, we'll see. So I have, I do have some comments there and I, people hate when I reference Duke basketball, but I did grow up watching a lot of Duke basketball and they won some championships. So it always seemed like when they were, when they were kind of starting to fizzle uh, during a championship season, they would, they would take a couple of losses on the road. And it was all, it always seemed like those were the, the turning points for a lot of the, their championship teams because they needed to be humbled and they needed to see like the opposing fan base running and yelling and probably talking trash to them as they're, as they're um, um, storming the field. So this could re- like, like you said, this could just be a small footnote note. And what happens like at the end of the season, if you go on to win a championship, like this game doesn't mean anything, especially if you beat Notre Dame in the rematch, like it doesn't matter at all, but yeah. you'll see what this team's made of because they literally just had to sit on the field and watch a bunch of um, non-social distancing. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. Watch a bunch of Midwest kids storm the field talking trash i'm sure i hope they talk trash because uh i think clemson need a little bit of fire uh, they need a little bit of good health too um which they can't control but they need a little bit of extra motivation yeah and you mentioned it like coming up soon there will be the committee releasing its first results i think that's going to be the tuesday after thanksgiving if i'm not mistaken cody like it's got delayed a little bit i think in a normal year we'd be expecting that result like this week uh or even tonight actually tuesday um with that said, Clemson right now, the AP poll is number four. We're also number four in the coaches. I guess, like, I, I wanted to ask you just, like, who's your, who's your like, college football playoff four at this point? Like, is it the current top four? I mean, do you think there's a world where Notre Dame can, and Clemson can both still make the playoff? I think that was, like, one of the narratives coming out of this was, like, this is the ACC's dream scenario. Notre Dame's going to be undefeated in the title game, and if Clemson – vanquishes them and like gets revenge um it still means notre dame like lost to a top three team and like handled their schedule so i don't know i think a lot of the, the answer to that question depends like who else is there but i don't know what are your thoughts like who do you who do you expect to be in the college football playoff come january at, at this point i think it i mean it, it very well could be the four teams that you have right now if, if Notre Dame gets embarrassed by Clemson, which would be my preference, that might be, that might be enough to, to, to get them out. But I guess Florida would be the other contender. Is that right? Well, Florida is going to play Alabama. So if Florida beats Alabama, then you're in a situation where it's just like the Clemson, mm. 
Notre Dame thing. And then it's like kind of take your pick of which one lost non-champ has the more impressive resume. And I'd argue Notre Dame probably would, but we're talking about Alabama here. So, right. um, yeah, that's, that's probably, probably tough. I don't, I also don't think Florida is going to beat Alabama. Yeah, I don't either. And Cincinnati's squeezing in there. They're kind of trying to creep up. I'm, I, the committee's just really hoping they falter because no one wants Cincinnati in there. Yeah, I like their team. I, I think they're impressive. BYU's quarterback is a lot of fun. I encourage people to try and watch their games. They've only got two more games. Zach Wilson, he's a stud. Um, watch his highlight reels. He's just a fun football player. Totally. Do you, do you have to wage your money when you watch these games? Is it kind of like going to a party and not drinking if you don't? Um, I don't wager on all the, all the ones I watch that are G5, but you know, it makes it a little more fun. <laughs> I agree. Let me live Cody. <laughs> yeah. Throw a 10 spot down. Like it, it makes the game so much more fun. I'm yeah. with you. Well, Cody, what about, what about the chance coastal Carolina chance clears? Oh yeah. 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 They're going to be really good in baseball this year. I think they'll win it all. Yeah. Well, they're seven and zero right now in the Sun Belt, So look out. Um, yeah. I just don't know. They did beat Kansas, but look, Kansas is a doormat. Uh, awesome. Congrats to them. You know, that's great. I, I kind of wish somehow Clemson had had them on the schedule. I, I think early in the season we would have won and it would have been a quality win for us and just fun for fun to see. Well, probably would have been a, a really good game at that point, but um, you know, that's a lot of fun. I guess, Cody, like if you had to, if you had to name kind of an outlier from the top four to, to make it into the playoff field at this point, like who do you see rising up and making it happen? Well, and this tells you how involved with uh, college football I've been. It's probably less so this year than any other. Um, could it be Oregon? Yeah, I think it could be Oregon. USC. I mean, USC will actually run the table right now. God, I, I really hope that doesn't happen. Southern Cal. Yeah. Southern uh, Cal. So as of right now, and they've already played one of their like six games that they're going to play. Uh, right. I think they, I think they might play seven if they have a conference championship. USC is ranked 20th and Oregon is ranked 11. So they're going to have to make a lot of movement there and probably see a lot of losses happen. Um, in the big 10, you've got Indiana is at three and oh, they're, they're ranked number 10. Ohio State's three and oh, they're ranked number three. Um, Wisconsin's only played one game, like the whole team's had COVID. I think they've canceled two games and postponed another. And I don't even know if they're going to play this week, but Wisconsin, like, I just don't know that they're going to be eligible for the playoff or not, not eligible, but I just don't think the committee is going to pick them based on how few games they would have played. And they're going to have to steamroll everybody at this point and win the conference championship. Yeah. And you have to look out for Michigan because they're always good every year. That's right. Um, Big time. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the the committee or you know the the stakeholders, let's call them. I think their dream scenario is is to get the top four in right now, with Clemson winning in the rematch, a narrow margin of victory. And I mean that that's actually, I mean, I think the country would like that, right? Like that's a pretty good. I mean, in terms of brand names. Yeah, you got some, and, and some not having, interesting rematch. Yeah, uh, stuff in there with like Ohio State, Clemson. You know for the third playoff matchup they would have had. Uh, we'll see what the packing order and rankings look like, but, uh, and then Alabama, Ohio state, like the last time they played was in a semifinal game. Um, Alabama, Notre Dame played in a natty recently. 
Notre Dame, Ohio State has like the bordering state thing. Like there's no, and then of course, Bama Clemson, like who doesn't want to see that again? So right. yeah, I agree with you. Like that is, that is the dream scenario for ESPN and for really, I think like casual fans too. Yeah. But I will say Notre Dame's playing BC this weekend. I think that's a, it could be a letdown game. They have uh, Jerkovich or whatever his name is, uh, the, the former in, in Notre Dame quarterback. Oh, yeah, Boston college team, we saw like they're not they're not a bad team they're five and three not bad watch I'm out with you yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna look at the line in that game cody i'm gonna take a look at that one but i i agree like i i do think notre dame takes care of business but what would that do i guess that would just eliminate the stereo that you could get two acc schools in yeah yeah which i don't really care about we're not we don't root for a conference here yeah, yeah, I don't care, and we—it's not. And they're like, not even in the ACC. <laughs> they're a one-year member, probably. Right, and and we wouldn't honestly. I hate to say it, but like, the winner of the of the of the of the, the playoff seating is going to get Notre Dame as their prize. Like that, they're by like that's how good they they're are. The four. They're, they're the four seed. They are yeah. the Oklahoma this year. I mean, right. in a different outfit. Yeah, the only way I see that not playing out is if somehow Clemson moved to number one. Like, would they have us play, like, a week later, <laughs> a third matchup? That would be annoying yeah. for the world. How, well, how could it. that – I can't see them – Moving us up? Yeah, yeah, we'd have to get back to the one seed. We couldn't do that, and Notre Dame's not, not going to make it to the one seed. Right, right. No, they'd, have, right. they'd have lost us, so. Yeah, I think we're sitting somewhere in the 2-3 zone for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, you'd, you'd have to have Bama and Ohio State both take, take L's. Mm-hmm. between now and then um all right well i think uh yeah that's 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 your playoff corner of the podcast um looking ahead to this weekend it's our bye week i'll probably take a little bit i'll i'll, I'll pay a little bit less attention this coming week but uh we mentioned notre dame bc that's probably going to be one worth looking at um no ranked matchups it looks like this weekend like throughout college football that's crazy. That usually means uh, there's going to be chaos. So probably a good thing that Clemson's not out there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't even see a matchup on here that's going to look like that compelling or telling from like a CFP calibration standpoint. So I don't know. It might be a good weekend to go hiking or play golf, huh, Cody? Yeah, that's that's where I'll be. Yeah. I'll, I'll say I miss the days when the Pac, uh, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 weren't playing or the Big 10 weren't playing because uh, everyone was ranked and it, it seemed like big time football. Right. Well, then the Big 10 is not even that good. So maybe we should rank all those teams again. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, good stuff, Cody. I mean, net net sucks to lose, sucks even worse to recap a loss. It did not kill the season. I think we actually saw a number of performances that gave me a lot, a lot to be thankful for with this Clemson team. And I just got to say like the players played an exceptional game in this. They, they hung in there till the end. Um, and it, you hate, you hurt for them. You hate to ha- have to see them take that loss. That said, they have all their goals and they're going to get their shot at redemption. So that part I'm taking away is feeling good. And again, I think that's why for me though, it did sting. It hasn't, it hasn't like sat with me as a very devastating loss. I agree. I almost feel like the Virginia game uh, seemed just, it seemed like there was, I had more gripes then uh, playing when we were playing at full strength, but yeah, I, I think how they respond to this and this sound, this will sound so like 
ESPN talking head cliche, but how they respond to this will define what this team's made of. It'll it'll help cement Trevor Lawrence's legacy as he returns, um, and it'll it'll say a lot about the coaching staff and how they are, and their ability to um, get the players motivated and dialed in. Yeah, I would not want to be the Florida State team. I think for next week, I think I think you're going to see Clemson put a beat down on them. I I hope so. I hope yeah. and I hope Tyler Davis is back to play against his home home team, home state team. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, it'd be great to have him back, 100% ready to go. I think that was like the goal all along. Um, you hope there haven't been setbacks, but again, if he's not close to 100%, like let's just rest the kid. Yeah, that'd be my thought. But we will be back, team, to uh, recap the Florida State game. Don't think we're going to do a pod next week. We might take a, a bye week ourselves. Uh, but we appreciate everyone tuning in. You know, Ben, one more time, wherever you are, come back home, man. <laughs> we miss you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch up with you in a couple weeks. And as always, go Tigers. Go Tigers.